Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, joining us today, we have Chris Wilhite on the phone. Hi, Chris, are you there? I'm here. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us and for taking a break in your walk <laughs> for the podcast conversation today. Why don't we start with an introduction and have you tell our listeners about you, a little bit about your background. Okay, I'm Chris Wilhite. I'm a board-certified behavior analyst and have been so for about 20 years, not quite 20 years. Um, I teach at California State University, Fresno. Started the Applied Behavior Analysis Program there in that, for undergrads in 1998. Long before that, I developed a real interest in sustainability which is now my main area of interest in behavior analysis. I was born in California, uh, fifth generation. My parents had to move to Fresno in 1953, which is kind of in the center of the state. It doesn't have a coast or mountains um, known best for its agricultural stuff. My parents felt they were moving to hell, but ended up liking it. So. I was there until I was 26. Um, I had a good Catholic education, um, which taught me a lot about critical thinking and philosophy and religion. And that led to my love of philosophy in general. So when I got to college at Fresno State, I majored in philosophy and art, my other love. And... um, It's at that point, this is about 1968 when I got to college, I was a hippie, and um, I was with, um, well, the man I married, uh, who who was raised in the mountains, and we had interest in social justice, but also the other things that went along with being a hippie, which included living small. not using many resources. So the two of us built a house. We moved out of Fresno when I was about 26 and built a house in the mountains where I now live, in the area where I now live. We built a house out of a reused train station. We, um, we reused things even like windows and um, insulation and and so forth that we got from other places. The train station was built out of virgin redwood in the 19th century. Um, And so the house was really, really wonderful. We grew our own clothes. I mean, we grew our own food. I actually made clothes. We lived without electricity for about two years. We had a composting toilet. All that kind of stuff was going on, and this is in the late 70s. And there were a whole bunch of us up in the mountains near Yosemite where I lived doing that kind of thing. Um, By then, um, my evidence-based grounding through philosophy and my mother's critical and brilliant eye and mind and speech and so forth – led me to be really, really interested in science. 
when I went back to school for a graduate degree in uh, 1983, I wanted to do something that helped people but was evidence-based. And through a weird route, I ended up in psychology. Um, and then, when, you know, once you start working, you do what you have to do. I graduated. I was hired immediately by the department um, from which I graduated and got my master's. Um, so it wasn't the sustainability movement faded into the background. By 1998, I had been working part-time as a behavior analyst as well in the Fresno area for um, Joe Morrow's company and then on my own. And um, I started the ABA program that fall, 1998. It was undergraduate originally and then became, we hired Dr. Jennifer Austin to start a master's program. And now we have three um, tenure or tenure line faculty and about seven or eight um, part-time adjuncts of which I am one. I retired about six years ago, so I've worked half-time since then. It's a great program. Anybody who's interested can contact me. I'm still one of the biggest uh, fans of the program. We're also in a really great department of psychology. Almost all of us get along. We can talk to each other, which is unusual in many, um, you know, between sometimes between psychologists and behavior analysts, there's some friction. <clears throat> Let's see. So by the time we started getting other faculty, I could move away from doing direct training of students to work with people with disability, which of course most of our students, that's where they get their jobs. And I went back to, you know, that earlier strong interest in um, living small and sustainable practices and so forth. In 2009 at ABAI, there was a special um, theme uh, on sustainability, and I attended all the sessions. Um, Bill Heward and, and others uh, set that all up. Paul Chance. So, uh, out of that, out of that conference, the next year, I think they published a whole, um, uh, art, a whole. They took over the whole journal of what was it? The behavior analyst. Do you remember, Kelly, Amanda? I think it was the behavior analyst. I remember the the cover quite clearly, right? It's like a yeah. green and the lines and the little circles. But yeah, I think it was the behavior analyst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they they uh, published uh, multiple multiple articles, but in the that was in 2010. But right after the conference that fall in 2009, when I went back to teaching my um, intro kind of behavioral courses, you know, like uh, human behavior and learning and applied behavior analysis and so forth, um, I had my students, as I always did, do a self management program. And in the past, I kind of let them do whatever they wanted so they could do studying or exercise or whatever interested them. But in 2009, I said, nope, I'm going to get into this. And I had all the students do something relative to sustainable practices. Um, and I did that 
for a number of years, maybe six years, seven years. I presented those data at uh, ABAI, maybe three or four years, three years, something like that. Um, and I figured by the end I'd gone through 500 students, all of whom had um, a you know, long-term project where they changed their own behavior. Um, they had to increase one behavior relative to sustainable practices and decrease another. And they couldn't be the inverse of each other. So, um, you know, it couldn't be I'm going to eat less meat and eat more soy. It had to be I'm going to eat less meat and I'm going to use uh, reusable bags at the grocery store. They had to be two different topics. Uh, I still hear from students who are thankful to me, like one, she's been out of school for 12 years, <laughs> 10 years, something like 2009, no, it must be only about eight years, um, about how she still carries bags in her car and does this and that, and that has, those practices and those techniques have generalized to uh, other sustainability related behaviors. Um, I have, you know, Fresno's a big city, it's half a million, but I still run into people all the time that I know and I see them and that's one of the things they remember about those courses. Um, so, in the, what's next? In the fall of, like, December of 2012, I met two geologists who were, they were first, they just finished their first semester on tenure line at the university. And I was with my friend, um, John Paul Michella, who um, teaches with us in behavior analysis. His parents and I had been friends for a long time, and all of us, you know, we raised our kids to be kind of hippies. <laughs> John Paul or JP, um, he was into the same kind of thing. Anyway, the four of us, two behavior analysts and two environmental scientists slash theologists, um, started uh, the Fresno State Sustainability Project that in January of 2013, um, we learned a lot from each other for the first semester, first year or so. We taught in each other's classes so we could explain each side of sustainability, the environmental earth sciences side and the behavioral side. Uh, that led to a number of Things, including the Fresno State Sustainability Club, which I tell you, it's still going, and this year they're just awesome. Just a side note, what I've noticed is a change in students over the last 10 years, and I think this year we've reached a tipping point where I, I get very, very little negative reaction to sustainable practices. And remember, Fresno is an ag area. Fresno County and Tulare County, a neighboring county, often switch places year after year in terms of um, total output for ag uh, in the United States, like top two counties in the United States. Um, and although 
farmers and other people in ag tend to be conservative in terms of politics. They also are engaged in um, a, a business that requires them to be conservative with lots of other things like water and soil quality and so forth. Um, that said, though, it was, it's really surprising how many students now don't question climate change at all compared to 10 years ago. It's awesome. And I think that's pretty much nation and in some sense worldwide. Anyway, so back on point. Um, the Fresno State Sustainability Club was an outgrowth of this Fresno State Sustainability Project. The project resulted in a proposal to the um, president of the university to begin um, uh, a whole bunch of things for sustainable practices, but also to develop a sustainability institute. Um, that came to fruition, it took three years, but um, in 2018, uh, we hired somebody to run the um, Fresno State Institute of Water and Sustainability. Now that's another compromise that we have to make with people in the area and donors to the university and so forth, and that is the water part comes the money for the water park comes from ag, and ag is, um, again, we just talked about that. So sometimes there are conflicts in terms of what the institute is supposed to do and what our wonderful um, vice president for that institute um, does, uh, but it's working. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Being in the state of California means we have very strict laws about um, sustainable practices, and those laws um, are even stronger for public state institutions. Um, so what I did initially after making these proposals was um, I went to the people in plan operations and facilities who are in charge of, you know, roads and bike lanes and our energy and light bulbs and all that stuff to see, you know, what do you need to do and what do you have to stop doing in order to meet state regs? It's kind of setting up, you know, finding for them what their positive and negative reinforcers were. So I found out, you know, that they have to meet these regs by this year or these other, you know, regulations on water use by 2020 or regulations on <clears throat> energy use by 2025, you know, whatever those state laws are. And for a while it worked really well because they knew we were trying to help them. And, um, you know, the energy we had among each other was just really great. Um, any questions at this point? I have thousands of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I was biting my tongue. Um, well, and a few comments. You know, one of the things that I'm hearing about is uh, our environment, like like how we're raised and what we're surrounded by and the role that that certainly plays in our interests. 
I'm also thinking about conversations I've had with my father in particular about, you know, is it really a climate crisis if it's been happening for 30, 40, 50 years? And I'd like to kind of circle back and have a conversation with you on that. But one of the things that you said that really, really resonated with me is something that Dr. Jim Carr mentioned that I'm just not aware of in other places is this cross interdisciplinary teaching in each other's courses with other professions. And so integrating behavior analysis and sustainability to people who are already looking at, you know, the environment and it's in the the natural world, but also in exposing your students to geologists and, and, and not just how we measure and shape and change behavior, but why and what is happening in that larger sense. And I just wanted to draw attention to that. I think that's really unique, Chris. Although initially those those personal, you know, you come talk to my class, I'll go talk to your class. That was very informal. But uh, about five years ago, the two geologists, Dr. Beth Weinman and Dr. Mara Brady, um, developed a first-year experience. This is for students coming into our college. We're in the College of Science and Math at Fresno State. Any student, any freshman coming in could take this class. It's a year-long course in essentially the scientific method. They decided to use science revolving around sustainability as the theme of the course. So we teach how to do science, but the subject matter is sustainability. Um, And uh, I didn't start teaching that program until this is my second year in the program but um, we have for example right now professors from all of our departments which is um, biology chemistry computer science earth and environmental sciences um, math physics psych I think that's if that's five is that seven that's all of us Chemistry, I forgot chemistry. We have in those seven departments maybe 10, 10 or 11 majors. Um, and so we get, what I find is that you have to use all those things. You know, the environmental problems are based in physics, right? At, at some level, all of us are based in physics, and we're all based in chem, biochem, biology. Um, and because this is a human cause problem, it's also based in the behavior of humans, the behavior of other organisms too. We know that many organisms are being affected by this and their 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 very existence is being affected by this. Um, for those organisms with large central nervous systems, especially the social ones, uh, like, uh, I don't know, wolves and <clears throat> whales and so forth. Um, those organisms can adapt a little by moving or, or other things, but um, we're the culprit, so our behavior is really, really important. And you need all of those sciences to make solutions. A chemist can up, come up with a solution to something that if that person or that group doesn't know how to implement policy and practices such that people start changing, corporations start changing, um, 
and where it doesn't do any good. So it's really nice to see all of us working together, like at the faculty meetings once a week. There are, you know, um, eight instructors now and a whole bunch of other people that attend all those meetings every week. And it's it's just a delight to see how we're all on the same page and we all respect each other's expertise. You mentioned to um, you know identifying positive and negative reinforcers. Um, how right. do we get humans to change their behavior? And I think for me, it really I connect and it hits home when you say we are the culprit. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times the conversations I have involving sustainability um, and or climate change or the climate crisis is well, you know what the whales aren't coming to Hawaii now, and that's great. They don't have to swim as far; they can stay up closer to Alaska because the water's warmer. And it's like, no, that's oh. not that's not how that works. You know, like this is our our some of it is our doing or our contribution, definitely. And what what we need to be looking at is what the culprits can do to change, right? Yeah, exactly. 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 So the model we developed at Fresno State um, was was a good one. Like I said, I went through and because I'm the one who knows about, you know, reinforcement systems, I went through and, and I, as I said, figured out all the laws they had to meet. And if they don't meet it, they're screwed, right? So that's negative reinforcers. And luckily, I didn't have to set them up. They were already in place for these people. I wouldn't like setting up negative reinforcers, but also um, the positive reinforcers. We went through all of those, which included not only state grants and that kind of thing, but also um, press, um, uh, getting people in the community interested and involved in, and there were all kinds of really positive reinforcers as well. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, once you understand behavior, it's going to be difficult to set up principles and policies and guidelines, but figuring out the reinforcers is not the hard part. It really isn't because um, we're good at that. We're, we're good at that. Yeah, and I like also how you mentioned that you're not always or you emphasize that we're not always in control of the contingencies. So it's not like I can come up and say, if you don't do that, this will happen, unless that is, in fact, what will happen. So I think, for me, sometimes I struggle because I can't always contemplate a behavior, even with that positive, desired, um, you know, outcome. And so it's looking at how much of that is already naturally in existence, right? Like, we just passed a bill here, uh, Bill 40, uh, signed on Oahu, and it's the strictest single-use plastic ban bill law now, um, just signed this past weekend, and one of the things that people were talking about, well, this is going to cost the businesses so much money, right? Customers are going to be so unhappy, and you always hear that, but that doesn't necessarily turn out to be the case when we look at data. And one of the the things, though, that is in the the law now is that when you give out single-use, you know, forks, knives, spoons, you know, cutlery, Mm -hmm. that you have to let the customer ask you. And right. that will be, that's part of the law. And one of the things they talked about is like that by, by, you know, just by design will reduce costs for businesses potentially, right? If people right. don't need those utensils all the time and they're not just going home and throwing them in their cabinet or their drawer. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I can't control the cost of things and I can't decide 
whether or not people are going to take them home. But I do know that if you have that in place, the outcome might be that less are used and the natural benefit to that could be cost savings. Right, exactly. Um, uh, it's hard to help business owners see that, uh, but, but I think going into a restaurant, for example, I know you've done a lot of this work. I happen to have taken your ethics and sustainability class yesterday to <laughs> get another unit in ethics for um, my uh, certification renewal issue. Anyway, I know, so I know you've done a lot of that work going into restaurants and, and so forth. But sometimes if you go in and say, oh, you're using a lot of styrofoam, I don't like that, that that's not going to work. You have to show them ways that it's going to be in the long run less expensive for them. And that can be difficult because you're not, people generally aren't going to bring their own bowls and plates in. I know um, straws and uh, cups, reusable cups are in fashion now and, and that's very helpful. But generally there's liability issues, for example, with bringing your own bowl full of something goopy. Um, did you clean it last time? Because if you didn't clean it and you get sick, I'm going to get blamed, uh, you know, according to the restaurant tour. Uh, but there are sustainable alter alternatives to that much better than, um, much better than uh, styrofoam. For example, dishes. <laughs> uh, we could do a cost analysis on how much it costs to keep regular dishes in the place and dishwashers versus uh, buying all that styrofoam all the time? Or how much will you potentially save if we can find a good source of paper products for you instead of plastic products for you? Um, I've long thought that it'd be great for a behavior analyst to go in and make his or her own business somebody who's gone through a good OBM program, for example. I think you could, um, in the long run, over time, if enough of us are doing this, we could actually have businesses that do very well in, as behavior analysts working on sustainable practices. I love that idea. <laughs> I'm like, what can I do next in my next 10 years? You know, yeah. I, I do think, too, that you bring up some really valid points about um, sanitary and health issues. And one of the, I think, most critical aspects is we need to know and understand all sides. So in order to compel somebody, we need to understand what are their barriers. And that, of course, is in line with the science of human behavior, right? I mean, it's like, right. exactly. what's the motivation? What are the reinforcers? What are the contingencies? Um, but as you mentioned, there seems to be and I am grateful for this um, resurgence in the interest of caring for the environment and for the earth and our, our atmosphere and that sort of social justice aspect of it or the social, you know, importance to the community. Something that we have here on the islands is um, they're like Surfrider approved or the Kakua, Kakua Foundation, which is Jack Thompson's uh -huh, yeah. organization. I um, love that, yeah. Yeah, in order to be ocean-friendly. And they've definitely incorporated behavior analytic um, principles into it because it's not like everything has to be, you know, plastic-free or nothing can be single-use. It's like you must be able to do three things off this list. And so they understand 
you know, sort of strengthening of behavioral repertoires. It seems to be a really nice consideration for that. And I can only imagine how strong that could be if it was truly designed by behavior analysts um, exactly. uh, with that understanding of those other areas. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I'm, I'm excited and I've, I've always had it on my list to come visit you. And now I really want to come visit the program um, as well to see how, how in depth you've been able to incorporate all these concepts into actionable items. I also wanted to comment back on, when you were talking about having students use sustainability-focused um, self-change projects. Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, when we talk about learning and developing fluency in something, we always we talk about multiple exemplars, right, as, as one way to train and promote generalization, yet a lot of people in their programs may be having more limited focus, right, might be only on uh, supporting special education populations or right. – might be, you know, organizational behavior management, right? We have some of those programs. Mm-hmm. And I often think back to my own experiences where we had uh, applied animal researcher in my program and some mm-hmm. other people where we were made to to consider the science as we were learning about it already in all these other areas. And then thank you for taking the ethics class. It's, that's fun and uh, <laughs> made me smile. Um, but one of the thoughts that I had was like, look, we have all of these skills. We, we know all of these ways to change some very complex and difficult behavior and individuals around uh, really complex and challenging behavior. Right. And as I was picking up all this trash, I just thought, why don't, why don't we help ourselves, right? Like, why don't we help where we yeah. live? So Right. Uh, I do I, think that you're right that we're seeing that that more of a global shift. Um, I, I think so. Um, yeah, the students. I work. Fresno State is a, a minority majority university, so I think the biggest portion of our students are Hispanic. Um, we have, and then probably uh, you know European Americans. Um, and then we have large Southeast Asian populations, Hmong, Cambodian, and so forth. Um, and these people are poor for the most part. Um, they are, and we know that people who are poor are more affected by climate change. Their neighborhoods aren't as, um, they tend to be, those neighborhoods tend to be closer to freeways, factories, uh, farmland here in the valley, which uh, farmland is, there are a bunch of, for example, uh, autism clusters in the valley, and there's some, uh, Fresno's in a big valley, the San Joaquin Valley, uh, part of the Great Valley of California that goes down the whole middle of the state. And um, in the valley, the, the pesticides and the pollution we create from cars and diesel trucks taking out all the agriculture and so forth. It just sits there because it's it's a big bowl surrounded by the Sierra, which go to 13,000 feet on the east side, and the um, coast range on the west side, which goes to about 5,000 feet. Um, There are these asthma clusters in the valley, uh, especially around certain kinds of farms that use certain kinds of pesticides. Uh, Asthma... (laughs) Sometimes we have a hard time bringing people to Fresno State because of the asthma rates. 
if they have a child with asthma or, or one of the professors or the professor's spouse has um, has that going on. Um, so social justice is always part of this for me uh, because I want to live in a nation that's healthy and well-educated. <laughs> so um, it's one of the, actually one of the joys, I think, and the perks of teaching at Fresno State is we actually know we're helping people at a very, very ground level way to see students go from, you know, their parents didn't have any education to this student gets a master's degree and starts his own company and, and or her own company and that kind of thing. It's really awesome. Off topic, but awesome. <laughs> no, not off topic at all, because I think what you're saying, too, is the people who often are most impacted, right? Not mm-hmm. going to have a lot of air conditioning. And in Hawaii, that would translate to you're not going to have AC in your unit. You're not going to have your house is sturdily built. You might be actually having, you know, residency outside in certain situations or camp, you know, encampments. And it's like, that's the very individual that also doesn't have a dishwasher who's not going to be, you know, able to bring their own materials in that way sometimes. Right? So, yeah, it's like... Not at all, um, yeah. but it's like, you know, it's this cycle and it's this, this continual thing. And the other thing that you said to me was, um, or to, to all of us here, was education. You want a healthy and educated, you know, place to live. And my experience has taught me there's nothing that really threatens the status quo more than educating the masses. So right. it's also my mission, but I have learned why um, or kind of in what situations systems in particular uh, want to see that not change. And so we need more crystal heights, <laughs> and I'm glad that you're still contacting <laughs> yeah, students. And I am make- not as much as I used to be, and I'll, I'll continue kind of fading that practice over the next four years or so, but um, we'll see. My heart is a behavior analytic heart, so it's always going to be there no matter what I'm doing. Well, I love the art heart philosophy and science of, of, you know, change. And so also probably a big part of why I enjoy spending so much time with you <laughs> whenever we get to connect. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I just want to kind of leave our listeners with too is you can start really small, right? I mean, when I think about when we, when we talk about behavior change and we talk about all of these things that need to happen and how, minuscule we must feel sometimes really standing at the base of a mountain or next to the ocean and you know I think the reality is we don't need perfection we just need everybody trying right and the more that we can yeah the more that we can keep doing individually is going to help and then I think like you mentioned too you know policy change and working people who understand policy and then us um, trying to integrate how we understand behavior change. <laughs> That's why we need those OBM people. We need those OBM people to write policy. Luckily, our program, we have an OBM faculty member, Charlotte Raffis, an animal person, um, Stephen Payne, um, Dr. Jackson, Marianne Jackson is the head of the program. Her background is in um, people with disabilities, but she's also very interested in health and healthy eating, as is Dr. Raffis. Um, and then all of our adjuncts, like myself, we all have a, kind of a variation, variety of training. So it's really good to have that kind of rounded approach in behavior analysis. Well, Chris, I want to 
thank you for joining today and just give you an opportunity if there's any last, uh, you know, words of wisdom, pearls of wisdom for our listeners that you'd like to leave or any contact information or websites to reference. Um, want to give you the chance to do that. Well, you can always get a hold of me at my email, which is Chris W. So it's spelled C-R-I-S-S-W at C-S-U Fresno, that's F-R-E-S-N-O dot E-D-U. And I will be attending Calaba and ABAI this year and probably tracking anything that's sustainability related. So you might want to find me there. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely be at those events, and so I will find you. And oh, um oh. be great to, to say hello and give you a great big hug. Yeah. <laughs> I think my final word would be just go out and do it. Take a little step. Make it bigger. Have somebody join you. You know, form a group, a group of two, a group of seven, a group of, I don't know, our sustainability club meetings now are like 45 people every two weeks. It's awesome. Um, and it started out with about 10 so or 12. So just go do it every day. Every little thing you can think of that's easy to do and right in front of your face, go for it. <laughs> What could it hurt? It should only help. Well, Chris, again, thank you for joining us today. And I will add um, any resources that you might have, or I'll send you a link to the sustainability page on um, my website and see if there's a way to make it more robust or to okay. add the university or whatever we, we can do. I'm happy awesome. to do that. Yeah. For anyone else who's interested in learning more, you can go to www.behaviorbabe.com. Mm-hmm.